going to continue our journey through the Gospels. We are coming down to the last major division uh, in the life of Jesus. That would be uh, the Passover week, the last week. It's often called the Passion uh, Week, and we are hopefully going to continue our journey. Let's start with John chapter 11. Now, uh, in the beginning of John chapter 11, Mary and Martha had sent to uh, Jesus, letting him know that Lazarus was sick. And the thing that we, we uh, finished with last time was Jesus was not that far away, not even really a full day's journey away. And yet, instead of coming and helping with Lazarus, he chose to stay where he was for a total of four days before he shows up in Bethany. By that time, Lazarus has died. Jesus is speaking to the disciples here. And uh, we'll just start reading in verse uh, 7 of chapter 11. It says, Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he. After that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him. Out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Uh, now, I remember reading that verse, and I'm thinking, Boy, Thomas, just he, he is already exhibiting his faithlessness. And uh, really, that's not what Thomas was doing at this point. He understood the danger, the physical danger that there was in going into Judea. He understood the hatred that uh, these Jewish leaders had against Jesus. And Jesus did say, let's go unto Lazarus. And uh, so Thomas is saying, well, if we're going to die, I'm going. Now that's uh, a whole different way of looking at that verse, but I believe that's much more toward the biblical truth than the other uh, misconception that Thomas had, and of course Thomas did not have the faith at this point, did not understand that Jesus had just said, we're going to bring Lazarus back to life. In fact, this is the only case in all of history where someone had been in the grave for over four days and brought back to life. The uh, closest thing to this was uh, if you remember, Elisha performed his last miracle. He did exactly twice the number of miracles that Elisha, Elijah did. His last miracle was done after he was dead and buried. How many of you remember that? Uh, there was a, uh, a man had died, gotten sick, and 
they were trying to bury him and the Syrians were coming into the land and they said, here's a tomb, throw him in there. And it was Elijah's, I mean, Elisha's tomb. He touched Elisha's body. Hey, guys, get me out of here. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I'd have taken off. And I'd still be running if I heard somebody calling me from inside the grave saying, get me out of here, wouldn't you? And uh, But uh, that was... Uh, something that they had no idea. And of course, really, other than the resurrection of Jesus himself from the dead, the resurrection of Lazarus was the greatest miracle that Jesus did. In fact, it tells us for the cause of this miracle that many of the Jews stopped following their tradition and uh, followed Jesus. And there are so many interesting things, and we don't uh, have the uh, time as we're going through this to stop and get everything. But uh, I do think that sometimes we give Martha uh, a bad uh, reputation because when Jesus met Mary and Martha before, it was Mary who sat at Jesus' feet, and Jesus told Martha that you're cumbered about with much serving, but here... We have uh, verse 21, Martha meets Jesus before he gets to the tomb. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Look in comparison here to verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. What's that next mark there? That's a period. To me, that is one of the loudest periods in all the Bible. Mary had it right when she sat at Jesus' feet. But she allowed her sorrow at the loss of her brother to overwhelm her and to become bigger to her than the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is showing us here, because you have great faith on one day, because you get it right at one point, is no guarantee you're going to get it right the next time you walk through the valley of testing. Each test comes on its own merits. And how you do is the big deal that you make about Jesus. Now, remember Martha wanted to serve Jesus. And we ought to want to serve Jesus, but the truth of the matter is, it is Jesus that does the work, not us. And we say amen to that. It it is Jesus that makes things happen in our lives. And this is what the story of Lazarus is all about. And I, I like the way one preacher uh, said it. He said, if Jesus hadn't said, Lazarus, come forth, everyone would have come forth. Because that is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one of, the, one of these days, very soon, we're going to hear that voice as if it were of a trumpet saying, come up thither, Jesus is going to speak, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain, I don't know about you, but I believe, I'm going to be alive and remain. If the Apostle Paul believed it, how much closer are we? Amen? And so we are waiting for that voice, 
And Jesus brought Lazarus from the dead. And, and we just need to note this here. Uh, verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Verse 46, But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Now, can you imagine this? Here you are. This was not some trick. Uh, I think I've told the story more than once here about the preacher had somebody stretched out in a coffin. And he said, at the end of this service, we're going to raise the dead. And about halfway through the service, a guy comes down with a hammer in his hand. And he says, I'm going to make sure that dead body is really dead. He said, I got me a hammer. And he's talking as he's walking down the aisle. And he got about halfway down and he raised the dead before the preacher had a chance. Uh, he's going to make sure uh, that body was dead. And that body said, I'm not going to be here to make sure that I'm dead because I'm still alive. You know, there's a lot of chicanery that has gone on in the name of Christianity. Uh, I remember Brother Clayton said he uh, saw a big tent one time and trucks and all that and and uh, 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 went over and he said, yeah, I started talking to some of the ground crew there and said, I'm, I'm a tent evangelist, been out for many years. He says, by the way, what's all those coffins uh, under the uh, altar there for? And he says, oh, that's for on the last night, he, uh, Dr. So-and-so, whoever it is, he, he's going to simulate the resurrection. Uh, you want to make a bet he's not going to fake it? Amen? Uh, I mean, there's just so much that goes on. But this was real. They could not. They could not do anything to change the facts. Jesus had taken a man who had been in the grave four days and resurrected him. And many of the Jews believed on Jesus, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Now, could you imagine the pure lunacy of having been in this meeting as these guys, you're not going to believe what Jesus just did. Lazarus was dead for four days. Everybody knows Lazarus was dead for four days. And then he came back to life. And you know what their only conclusion could have been? Somehow, Jesus worked the trick. You see, when you stop believing in Jesus, when you've made up your mind, it doesn't matter What happens, you're not going to believe. And these Pharisees uh, gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees and made a big council. And and they said, what are we going to do? And if you look here, this is one of the most amazing uh, passages of all the Bible. Verse 49, and one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider it, that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. 
and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Now, did you follow those words? Here's Caiaphas. He is the one that's officially going to pass judgment upon Jesus, binding him over for trial to uh, uh, the governor, to Pontius Pilate. And God used him and prophesied through him. But we have no hope that Caiaphas is on the right side of eternity. I want you to understand something. Just because somebody says what's right doesn't mean they're right on the inside. Doesn't mean their heart's right. He was still the rejecter and the accuser and the blasphemer of Jesus Christ. And yet his prophecy was that Jesus would die for that nation and that Jesus would gather together in one all the children of God that were scattered abroad. You know what? We're still waiting for Caiaphas' prophecy to be fulfilled. Do you know where that's ultimately going to be fulfilled? It is fulfilled to a certain degree in the local church because it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're bond or free, it doesn't matter who you are, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will submit to scriptural baptism, you can become a part of the body of Christ, a part of a local church, and serve the Lord. You know, I I just love mocking the United Nations. If you ever want a history in violence and bloodshed and and evil, study what the United Nations has done. It it is a terrible, terrible history. Uh, Those United Nations peacekeeping troops are feared throughout the third world. Because when they come into town, it is evil. It is uh, oppression and and, uh, vile things. It may have gotten a little better in the 60s and 70s in Africa. They They were the scourge, the scourge of the African continent were the peacekeeping troops. Because they did whatever they wanted and no one stopped them. That's the best man has been able to do in 6,000 years of human history. I I want to tell you, the United Nations is the best thing that man has done. If you want to talk about the Roman peace, oh my, uh, they had a great way of doing it. They took that main highway that started, it starts in, not starts, but goes from Damascus all the way straight down through Samaria into Jerusalem And they lined that highway with crosses and nailed a Jewish man or a Samaritan man the whole way down that road. That's how the Romans brought peace. United Nations isn't quite that bad, but they're working on it. But Jesus is going to bring true peace. Amen? But when you refuse to believe in Jesus, you you cannot believe the truth even when it is put in front of you. And Caiaphas here prophesies that he's going to gather together all the children of God. So we have this truth. And where this is actually going to be totally fulfilled is in the New Jerusalem. Because the Old Testament saints are going to be there. 
the 12 pearly gates are the 12 tribes of Israel. The foundation are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Uh, that is going to be the church. And the tribulation saints are going to be able to be there. And again, one of the reasons we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture is because if the church were there during the tribulation, why would the tribulation saints be allotted a special group? Because if the church were there, they'd be part of the church now, wouldn't they? So, uh, we, we want to follow our Bible and we come here and we're looking for it. And these, this prophecy came from Caiaphas. Now, look what they did here in verse 53. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. From that day forward, from the day that Lazarus was resurrected from the dead... The, the Jews in Jerusalem, and by that we're talking about the, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. Uh, every moment they had, every waking effort they had in life was put forth to try to entrap, to try to kill Jesus. And yet they couldn't get anything done until Judas showed up. Isn't that amazing? They had already sent officers to take Jesus on several occasions. They had tried to stone him on several other occasions. They couldn't get anything done. I can't wait until we get to the triumphal entry when they're looking at one another and perceive ye how the whole world has gone after him. I just love the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, I love how he confounds his enemies. And the best place for you and I to be is following Jesus. Amen. And so, Jesus then, in verse 54, walked no more openly in among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. So, right now, we are in January, maybe February of this last year. Jesus is now retiring and heading back uh, north, and uh, uh, he was, if you could imagine, uh, put in your, the picture of your mind, Jesus was south and east of Jerusalem in Perea before Lazarus died in the place where John had started baptizing. He moves up to Bethany, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, raises Lazarus, and then he heads extreme north back up into Galilee to remain hidden these last few months. And uh, we're going to uh, then go to Luke chapter 17 and pick up the narrative as Jesus is heading north here uh, out of the city and area of Jerusalem that he can remain hidden. We have one of the uh, uh, great stories of the Bible starting in uh, verse uh, 11. It's of Luke chapter 17, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and he entered into a certain village, and there met him ten men, which were lepers, which stood afar off. And so, um, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, 
when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering and said, We're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And so we have Luke actually having Jesus as he went north. He is now coming uh, 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 back toward Jerusalem. He runs into these ten lepers. And the only one who returns to give him thanks is the Samaritan. In verse 20, we pick up the narrative, I'm sorry, and the Pharisees demanded when the kingdom of God should come. And the, the whole purpose here was these Pharisees, they, they were not concerned um, really about Jesus at all. They thought, well, there is a chance that he might be the Messiah. And so if he is, we want to get in on this. And if he isn't, we're going to keep doing our own thing. And Jesus tells them, and we quote this verse often, he said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God, verse 21, is where? Within you. Then he said unto his disciples, The day will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth into the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, Noe, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noe entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they building. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his house stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you that, I'm sorry, I tell you in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered also. So we finish chapter 17 here. And Jesus is giving an answer to these Pharisees. 
You think the kingdom of God is coming. You think you're going to see this on earth and you're not going to see it on earth. If you want the kingdom of God, it's going to be in you. But when Christ's kingdom comes, when Jesus reveals himself, it's just going to be like lightning. Didn't Paul put it in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that the trump is going to sound and Jesus is going to come? He is going to take his church out. And he said, remember Lot's wife. How many of you remember what happened to Lot's wife? She turned around to look back into Sodom and became a pillar of salt. And there's lots of things there, but here's simply what it was. There were two daughters with them. But Lot had spent that night going out into the city trying to talk to his other sons-in-laws and daughters who were in the city. As far as we know, Lot had no sons. We don't know. If he did, when when the angels came, Lot knew they were so far gone that he couldn't get them. But he went to try to talk to his daughters and their husbands. So Lot's family, if if you take the least numbers... He had no sons. He had to have at least two daughters out of the home and two daughters in the home. The two daughters out of the home were married. So that makes four. And we have the two daughters in the home. That makes six. We have Lot and Mrs. Lot. That makes eight. And do you remember what Abraham had prayed? Ten. Do you see how close that was? I will tell you, God's judgment is real. And if there's anything that you and I need to do, is we need to be remembering Lot's wife. Don't let your heart be taken in by the world. That was her problem. She left. Because the angels laid hold on him, but her heart was still in that city. Chances are, her two daughters were there. There were some grandbabies there. I couldn't imagine children growing up in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But they were, just like they are today. The Bible says, as in the days of Noah. Do you think that the world in the days of Noah took stock that Noah existed? Have you ever noticed how much more, uh, what I would call marginal, the true believers in Jesus have become? You know, Jerry Falwell, when he was still alive, was considered radical right. I've got some bad news for you. In, In our movement, in the independent Baptist movement, Jerry Falwell was radical left. He was as far out as you could be and still be considered a fundamental Baptist. I remember sitting several years ago on an airplane and we, I got talking to the guy next to me about the Bible and things and he said, are you like Jerry Falwell? I said, oh no. I said, in our church, Jerry Falwell is so liberal you just can't even imagine. I said, we are so far to the right of Jerry Fall, And the guy just, 
Didn't say a word to me the rest of the flight. (laughs) What we're trying to be is Bible. Did Noah change his message because no one believed? Absolutely not. And we're not going to change our message. People say, well, you've got you to reach people where they are. Yeah, you do. You've got to go out. But you don't have to get in the same pit that they are to reach them. Aren't you glad about that? We do not need to experience sin to reach sinners. We need to throw the lifeline of the gospel. And we need to remember that if Lot had only one kept his, his family... And two more, God's judgment would have been averted. So let's let's be faithful where we are. Let's remember the kingdom of God is not going to show up here on earth until after the tribulation period. And so until Jesus comes to rule and reign, guess what? We want him to rule and reign in our hearts. I want, Jesus, I want my life to be under the direction and influence and protection of Jesus Christ. I, I want His kingdom to extend to me. How about you? This is what Jesus is teaching here to the scribes and the Pharisees. Then Jesus gives two parables about prayer. He said that we ought to pray and not to faint. If that's not good news, if that's not encouragement to you and I today, to direction for what we ought to be doing, uh, I, I don't know what would be. We have the parable of the unjust judge, and the widow kept coming, and, and then we have the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want salvation... God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They tell the story at the old, it's now called the New York City Rescue Mission down on Lafayette uh, and uh, Canal Street there, uh, just in Chinatown, basically, uh, that back in the 1880s and 90s when Jerry McCauley, used to be called the Jerry McCauley Mission, he would walk up and down the lines of the vagrants who had wandered in there And he'd say, all you have to do is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know, that's still true today, is it not? But you have to be honest with God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It fulfills all the biblical requirements, does it not? I cannot save myself. I can only trust in God's mercy. And God, calling upon the name of the Lord, He will save you. And... uh, The message is still true. And sometimes it seems that God doesn't answer your prayers. How many of you have ever been there? You just pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. Well, here's what the Bible says. You listen to the unjust judge and don't treat God as if he were an unjust judge. God is the only judge in the world with perfect justice. 
And sometimes He makes us wait. And sometimes He asks us to keep praying. And it seems like He's doing nothing. But I want you to understand something. God is never doing nothing because God is God. And our faith needs to be in God and not in our prayers. Do we say amen to that? And so Jesus is doing all of this incredibly, uh, if, we can, if I can say this, heavy-duty teaching here in these last few months as he is approaching. He has revealed himself as the God that has power over life and death. He has explained the kingdom. He has healed the ten lepers. He, he is now going to do some teaching here. If we follow this through, Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10, Jesus is going to teach about divorce. He is going to bless the little children. And as Jesus is blessing the little children, we have the rich young ruler showing up. Can you see the picture? Jesus is sitting there. He is blessing the little children. He told the disciples to suffer the little children to come unto me. And here comes the rich young ruler running and falling down in the dust at Jesus' feet. And saying, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus had already said, except you be converted and become as a little child, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And here's this ruler, dust all over his fancy garments. He'd just gotten down on his face at the feet of Jesus. Can, I, can you pick a better place to be if you want salvation? But his heart wasn't there, was it? Because when Jesus told him, you only lack one thing. Sell everything you have and follow me. You know, this is the price of discipleship. Jesus is going to say this. How many times has he already said it? What is a man profited if he gained the whole world, lose his own soul? He, he rebuked Peter. He said, if you're going to seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. You know, I've met some people over the years, and, and it's always been a just a spiritually terrifying experience. I remember when we were on deputation, so this is way back, about 1990, we were in a church in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, the preacher there had bought an old riot tank from the Detroit Police Department, left over from the 60s. And, and when he found out I did motor work and different things like that, repower, he wanted me to find him an engine and try to fix up that tank. And he says, I'm going to be ready when it happens. I'll tell you what, that's not what the Church of Jesus is about. Uh, I, I gave him directions to an army surplus junkyard I knew about. <laughs> I said, you know, you're just going to have to take care of this one yourself. Uh, I, I got some work to do. Uh, I want to raise some support and go to New York City and start a church. And That was over 28 years ago. Guess what? I'm glad I'm still not seeking to save my life because you lose it when you do that. It's when you just surrender to the Lord. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've been told, well, you just, you just feed meat to the bear that's going to eat you. I say, yeah, but maybe we'll get a few more souls in the lifeboat before the bear eats me. Amen? 
hasn't eaten me yet. I'm still whole. And uh, we're just going to keep serving Jesus till he comes back. We've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. This was nothing new. As the Pharisees and the disciples themselves were searching for the kingdom, the rich young ruler comes here and then he gives the story uh, of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And um, I think that's a typo there. And then uh, on the reference, I'll try to fix that. Jesus again foretells his death and Then we got James and John coming up, requesting to sit on the right hand and on the left hand. Could you imagine how frustrated Jesus must have been? As he is already told them, he is going to be crucified. He's going to rise again the third day. He he is preparing to leave them. And James and John, well, when you come into your kingdom... Excuse me, Jesus has yet to come into his kingdom. We're we're still waiting for that. It's at least seven years from tonight. Amen? And so, James and John didn't understand what was going on. The other disciples, they only had indignation at James and John's request. Now, didn't they? Now, if you're still in the book of Luke, let's start in verse 35 of chapter 18. It says, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight. And followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Now, as we read Luke's narrative here, Jesus is on his way into the city of Jericho. You have to remember that Jesus was entering Jericho from the east and heading west to go through Jericho and then up the mountain road into Jerusalem. He was taking the traditional path of all of the Jewish celebrants that were coming to Jerusalem for uh, the Passover. And I always like this picture here. We read in Mark chapter, uh, where was it here? In uh, Mark chapter 10 uh, and Matthew chapter 20, it seems that Bartimaeus was sitting on the wayside on the west side of Jericho. So Jesus Opened the blind eyes coming into Jericho. Opened the blind eyes going out of Jericho. Because Jesus was always doing good, my friend. You have to realize his ministry was constantly moving about healing and doing good. He drove the Pharisees crazy. They couldn't even keep track of all the miracles that Jesus was doing. But as he got into Jericho... 
the throngs were there, the thousands, the multitudes were there moving toward Jerusalem for Passover, and they all wanted to see Jesus. Don't you just love the story of Lazarus, the chief tax collector, the chief IRS agent, uh, the chief guy that had sold out to Rome, betrayed the Jewish people, and uh, he was not very tall. He couldn't see. So he climbs up in the tree. I've always thought about how silly that would be. If, uh, I don't need, who's who's our comptroller? Uh, Mark Singer? Uh, a singer is the comptroller of New York City right now, I believe. Huh? Stringer, yes, thank you. I knew it started pretty close. Now, could you imagine walking through Central Park and finding Mr. Stringer up in the tree? I mean, that would be scandal, would it not? Uh, it, it would be, I mean, it would be in all the newspapers. Everybody would be laughing. But here is Zacchaeus. He was the chief of the publicans. He was the main go-to guy. He knew the governor by name. He knew all of these people because he was the one that collected the taxes. Here he's up in the tree. And when Jesus says, I'm going to your house, oh, the Pharisees were there. They had indignation. He, he's, he's endorsing Rome. He's selling out his people. But look what Zacchaeus said. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. You know, I just love the picture of the blind man walking into Jericho. And the first thing he sees is Jesus and Zacchaeus. I wonder if the blind man had had a run-in with Zacchaeus about uncollected taxes. I mean, I, I think about those things. I don't know if you do or not. And we have Jesus taking time. And he eats lunch with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus accepts Jesus, and we have Jesus arriving at Bethany. This would have been more than likely about Friday afternoon in verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh, and we go and start in verse 29 of the narrative of the triumphal entry, that would happen Sunday. Friday, Jesus got there before the Sabbath began. He would rest the Sabbath day according to the law. Jesus was a keeper of the law. He never offended in the keeping of the Jewish law. He knew all 613 commandments because he's God. And so Jesus rested on the Sabbath day, Saturday evening, as the, as the Sabbath was over. And we'll start there next Sunday, Lord willing, that that was when Mary 
anointed Jesus. That was the night before Jesus rode the donkey into the city of Jerusalem. The ministry of Jesus, as far as his regular ministry was concerned, was over. We are now entering that last week. It will begin Friday afternoon as he stops. Thursday evening he will be put in the tomb. Sunday morning... He will resurrect again. And uh, we'll, we'll cover the chronology there. And, uh, but as we are going through the lesson, how many times has Jesus, three times he has explained to the disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to be killed, crucified, I'm going to resurrect from the dead. The Pharisees got it. They went to Pilate. And the desire to guard, but the disciples didn't get it. The only thing they were concerned with was who was going to sit on the right hand and the left hand when Jesus came into his kingdom, which he hasn't done yet. You know what we need to do? We need to remember Lot's wife. And be reminded that if Lot had kept his own family and two more, things would have been very different. If Mrs. Lot had allowed her heart to be centered on the things of God instead of in the city of Sodom, things would have been different for Mrs. Lot. Let's take the warning that Jesus put there. The kingdom is not going to appear. It's not going to be something. How many times? Uh, it was, uh, I can't remember, I was reading some timeline or something and was talking about the Guyana tragedy where Jim Jones was trying to set up the kingdom in Guyana. Instead, it was a mass suicide. Uh, David Koresh thought he might set up the kingdom of earth in Texas. And there's some Texas preachers I know that think that's where the kingdom of God is going to be. But uh, Janet Reno got to him first. There was no kingdom there. Just 70-some funerals. And... The people who were responsible for those deaths were never brought to justice. It's a terrible thing. There was no need to kill those people, but they did. And we live in a wicked, evil world. I was just talking to a friend of mine, Brother Fesher in Vermont. He says Vermont is working on a bill to guarantee abortion rights that exceeds the one passed in New York just a few months ago. I don't know how you do that. And uh, I, I don't even want to, want to imagine. I guess we'll just wait for the horde details. They'll be printed in the news media, I'm sure. But you know what I'm going to be doing? Instead of thinking about Governor Como and all the trash that he does. I'm going to be remembering Lot's wife. How about you? Amen? I'm going to be remembering that the kingdom of God is still within me. And that at least seven years from tonight, Jesus is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. But Jesus is going to do all the setting. All he wants me to do is follow him. Don't get caught up in your greatness. Get caught up in Jesus' greatness. Amen? Let's pray.